Welcome to A Healthy Obsession. This is the podcast covering soccer culture from around the world. My name is Adam Thurwell and the show is brought to you by Small Goal Soccer. On this week's show, I'm catching up with the good people over at No Place Like Home magazine, Joe Fordham and Neil Jameson. While Joe is the editor-in-chief, Neil is the creative director for the magazine. It's really well put together, definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. We're going to be talking all things football culture today. It's a great look at all different pieces of what make up the beautiful game. We're going to get into the show now. We appreciate everyone tuning in, share, rate, review the show, and we're going to get into it. the two of you to get it together oh, wait, real quick can i just interrupt so uh sorry i joined 15 minutes late are we recording yeah yeah recording everything right. brilliant yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, this is this is the way it goes just a bit of organic uh, football chat <laughs> yeah brilliant um football chat <laughs> i wish i'd put more things in the background to make myself look more intellectual <laughs> you look i look really- like i'm in an asylum yeah yeah you, you need to get, get the bookshelves going and uh, <laughs> Or pull a blind down that's got books painted on it, maybe. Yeah, that's, that's better, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you in your flat, you know? Yeah, yeah, Cheryl's in the, um, in the, in the front room watching Handmaid's Tale. So I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've retired to the, uh, to the bedroom quarters. It's a, ba- it's a bad time to watch that programme. <laughs> I watched it about a month, a month or two ago and it was, it was like scaring me. I'm like, this, we're actually living this almost. <laughs> hey, mate, yeah, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this year. Yes. This is, the time, this is the time for it. Right, <laughs> Uh, Neil's in the best place. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's he's safe. He's got everything yeah. he needs there. He, he's just uh, maybe we we'll come to Neil. You're in Connecticut, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're near Hartford. We're about um, uh, about forty five minutes from Hartford. So it's pretty far from New York. It's about like two and a half hours from New York. So we're we're far enough away that you know we're still obviously impacted by it. But the kids have managed to go back to school five days a week now. Um, and yeah, it's relative normality. Sports are happening, which is great. We managed yeah. to get through most of the uh, of the kids' travel season, so that's good. So under 11s and under sevens uh, have been played, and then we're going to try and start all basketball in a few weeks. So we'll see how it goes. But um, it's amazing. I mean, you know, youth sports has done um, wonders for my kids, but they're you know the the idea that we're able to do it in the middle of a pandemic is pretty pretty amazing. <laughs> no, nobody's caught anything. Everyone's been all right. Everyone's you know, all these. I don't want to sort of digress here, but uh, it's pretty amazing how well the kids have adapted and they're following the rules and wearing their masks all the time. Like, but yeah, we're doing all right. How's it in? Uh, you're are you in Arizona? Yeah, yeah, we're in Arizona. So it's it's. I was just saying to Joe, it's it's been okay here. So we're we're living in a bit of a weird. Uh, time right now because I, like half the state is pretty much saying like let's just go for it no holes barred you know right. no, yeah no restriction and the other half is like very no we need so but I think everyone's sort of <laughs> in the corner where we're all at least in agreement that you need to have a mask on you need to so there's no massive events going on so like the soccer the local soccer team Phoenix Rising they've got people back in the stadium again but only only like sort of a thousand or two thousand and uh, obviously the rest of the sports well the cardinals are playing right now but they're, they're not having anyone in the stadium but i think for the most part people have come around and have at least got into the idea that we need to do something because arizona was a a bit of a shit show for a while it was it got pretty bad here for a while because i think california is still really pretty much for the most part they're shut down so a lot of people were just coming in here from california for weekend stuff so whether right. it's 
bars and the lake and so but then it then it got bad here so we sh everyone shut that back down again so it's been okay here fingers crossed it, it goes in the same direction but it, who knows at this point I, I know it's been ticking with the numbers are ticking back up again here but people seem to be getting a bit more lax and as you just said all the kids are playing sports again and California teams are flying into Arizona for the weekend tournaments. So, right. for, for example, one of the tournaments that we our, our company puts on, it averages about 400 teams usually. There were 700 teams there this weekend and like 300 plus from California. So, it's like, that, that, I don't know if that's going to have an impact or what, but for the most part, it seems okay. We're, we're sort of trickling, but I'm the same as you. It's kind of surprising that most things have sort of gone on like without too much of a, any, an interruption, so to speak. Yeah. Well, we're not allowed to travel beyond state lines. We've got to stay in Connecticut. We can't, go, right, to, yeah. can't go to Massachusetts. And we're, we're really close to the border. We're only about uh, you know, half an hour from Massachusetts border. We're yeah. not allowed to cross uh, to play. Um, so, you know, like I say, it has been bubble-ish. Like we've kind of, we've followed the rules and been able to, just by keeping in our state, I suppose that's helped. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Preston, I spoke to my dad this morning. Um, they're like fully locked down again. Yeah, that's what we were just saying before you jumped on. Is like the north of England, I think, is basically screwed, but the rest of the country's okay. Like the south, yeah. it's, it's one one set of rules for the other, but it's going to end up being riots. I mean, people aren't going to do that for too long, I don't think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak. I haven't really spoken to any of my mates that are my age, but my dad's in his 70s now, and he's obviously... <laughs> his politics are slightly to the right of Hitler. Um, <laughs> so he calls it COVID-1984. Yeah. Um, and he's, uh, yeah, definitely not down with it. Meanwhile, like, across the road, you know, people have it. And I'm like, dude, stop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's either a massive conspiracy or people aren't taking it seriously enough. I can't, like, find a, a happy medium between all of that. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, it's maddening. Anyway, how did we meet on the magazine, Joe? Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so, this is going to be a nightmare for you to edit. We're going to spend four days cutting this together. <laughs> um, Instagram, like any good modern relationship, we met yeah. online, didn't we? Um, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Right, there you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so MPLH was a, a West Ham fanzine, briefly. All right. And, yeah not for long it didn't really take off uh it was good it was like a, quite an offbeat offbeat little publication but i think it was just uh yeah tricky to get any traction with it, it a bit of a cult following more than mm. anything that's but what yeah, i love um, about it though to be fair i remember you sent me a picture of you trying to sell them outside of uh london stadium right it was yeah it, my, my brother built me a an old school program stand and everything nice and uh so we used to leave it in one of the breweries in Hackney Wick near the new ground. Yeah. Just chain it up, chain it up there and then wheel it out and then sell from it. And uh, yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah, it was really offbeat stuff. I'll send you some, uh, some PDFs of the, of the issues we did. Uh, but yeah, then so basically found Neil on Instagram and was just a big fan. And we just started talking on there. I think it was a non-league day poster that he'd made was, that was the, uh, mm. the trigger. That was it. That was, he had me at non-league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The sweet words of non-league football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. So then, yeah, we just started talking back and forth. And, um, yeah, just the idea was to 
turn MPL8 into something a bit more serious, I think, a bit more substantial. Yeah. And and uh, and that was it, really. I think uh, it just kind of happened then, didn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, I think the timing for me was perfect because I was at ESPN, I think, at the time. Um, and I'd sort of moved up the ranks and had become a manager and um, it was a little bit corporate and I wasn't doing a whole lot of uh, designing anymore. Well, I was, but I probably shouldn't have been. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I'd been in publishing over here in America since uh, 2001, I moved over here to work for Sports Illustrated. So I've been working for sports publications for years um, and, you know, had a pretty good career working my way up at magazines and became sort of creative director. Um, and I don't want to say I started to fall out of love with designing because I didn't. I love designing, but I started to sort of, lose touch with it a little bit because I was just doing so much management Um, and I was like I need a project I need something um, fun to do to sort of reinvigorate me as a designer and as you know I sort of had this dream of starting a studio one day Uh, and that was it you came along at the perfect time and I was like yes I just need some content to play with something that I care about which is obviously football Um, and that was it and then we just kind of dove into issue one and it it, (laughs) that's all of it it was kind of very organic it was perfect well, yeah, it's quite. It's like two years now, two and a half maybe. How crazy! Yeah, issue eight. Yeah, yeah working on nine. That's so, yeah. so. So the magazine itself is is it a, a quarterly? Are you putting out every three months? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> depends on those Chelsea emails and how quickly they, how frequently they come in. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, yeah, th- no, no, let's do it. Three to four months. Like they come out every three. But yeah, we everyone's doing this around their real lives, you know. So it's it's got a bit of slack in it. But we do a good job, I think, getting this out, don't we? Yeah, I think it's, so. It's quite it's quite a substantial. You know, it's like it's not. Um, it's not a Mickey Mouse magazine. It's like a hundred sort of ten pages of good, serious content with top end artwork, and and Neil designs it from scratch, issue to issue. Oh, there you go. And, and Joe, Joe, the, the the one that I was reading, your intro was around like money in football and how you know the machines sort of broken and it's skewed to favour the the rich teams to get richer and the lower ends not. But the example, I think, in the the introduction, I'm from Stockport, right? So, and your your piece was there's a piece in the magazine that was around Stockport County, but then also at the other end of the spectrum was the Venice Beach piece, and I thought I was reading this, I was like that that's amazing, like that the vast contrast between the two but then like they it all sort of meshes together really well so how, how are you sourcing those stories yeah that's a good one so well venice but i spend a lot of time on instagram if i'm honest that's yeah. how i found venice beach um but when it comes to making an issue so you've got the main like the 11 main features uh the theme can be interpreted loosely by the writers basically mm. like we, so the rich and the rest for for example that issue would have been the set the theme would have been set for that one and it's just a case then of the writers having to think about it and coming back with their pitch and then you see what offers the best balance for an issue you know um could have run with 11 negative features but then you you don't want everyone kind of closing the magazine and yeah. feeling a little bit down in the dumps so yeah. yeah it's important to get a good balance in there and luckily with the writers that we've got on board 
and that that's a pool that continues to grow as well. But with the writers we've got on board, they're they're never short of interesting suggestions. So we're quite lucky in that respect, I think. And Neil, from a design perspective, it's like a lot of these style of magazines almost come across as like collector's items now because they're so well put together from not only a design perspective, but the quality just of the paper. And are we seeing that people are becoming almost like you mentioned there with the fanzines that you were doing for West Ham. And I used to collect them when I used to go to football when I was a kid, right? So is that happening now with these magazines where it's almost like um, someone collecting vinyl records from the artwork on the sleeve? And like, do you think the same thing's happening with magazines of this uh, similar ilk? Yeah, I think that's a really good shout, actually. So um, it's been changing for a while, but are you familiar with 8x8? Magazine. I, I, I am, yeah. I, I don't, I've never read a copy of it, but I've, I, same thing as Joe just said in uh, uh, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So it's magnificent. I have the whole set here, is one. I mean, they're just amazing magazines and they're just full of beautiful typography, illustration, design, and stuff. I mean, obviously, this one's, uh, they've got a really high, well, relatively high budget, but my friends put that together. So it's mm. Priest and Grace, is a design studio out of New York. And they're legends in my community, like in, in the design field. He was, I mean, he's art directed every magazine you can think of. Um, Esquire, uh, Oprah, uh, what else? Uh, Portfolio, which was a um, Condé Nast version of Fortune. Like they're just an incredible design studio. And Robert, who's the fan of the studio, um, is a Manchester United fan. Um, and he's just a really, he's a really big football fan. He's, um, I, I, I don't know how old he is. He's probably, he's probably got another like 10 or 15 years on me. You know, he's been around the industry for a long time. But he, this magazine 8x8 was basically, as far as I know, a bit of a vanity project for him. And his standards are just extremely high. And he's got so many contacts in the community, you know, just top line fashion photographers and illustration, uh, illustrators. And everything else. And he just launched this magazine a few years ago. And it was like, holy shit, I guess that's the bar now. Um, <laughs> And so when, when Joe and I were talking about this, we were like, um, to me anyway, in my brain, that was the standard I, I felt like I had to try and meet. But obviously on a much lower budget. <laughs> so um, but I think we got close, but no, I think you're right. I think partly collector's item and partly, um, it's an interesting community, the football community, because as most of these big brands know, like Adidas, um, they call their sort of specialized creative unit. Um, they, they know that their football fans are, it's funny, right? They're a little bit cult and a little bit niche, but they're really not. There's so many of them. There's millions of them. They spend an awful lot of money on football and, and, uh, and kits. I mean, if a football kit is like $130, mm-hmm. they're hardly sort of a niche, small like community, are they? There's a lot of money there. But for some reason, they've got a bit of a broader, more experimental, more cosmopolitan, articulate taste. And mm-hmm. that... Um, is reflected in the aesthetic of, you know, everything, football, fashion, culture, boots, balls, you know, everything's got this kind of extra layer of design on it, which I think um, for some reason football fans really respond to, and I personally do. I don't know if I'm saying they're a bit more visually um, sophisticated than other sports fans, but anyway, they're just, when you release a magazine, you've got to take that into account. I think when you work in any typography and your skills and, you know, sort of basic design stuff, um, you can experiment a bit more and you can push down a bit more than you could at a big commercial magazine like Sports Illustrated or ESPN. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that is the state of zines now. I think they really do have to be 
Uh, well, no, okay, I'm not sure if that's right, but that polish is really good as long as it looks genuine and sophisticated. But like, people are actually making an effort and they know the audience. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't feel like it could, if it looks like um, Time magazine or something, you know, that's just the wrong tone and the wrong mood. Or if it looked like, uh, you know, a women's magazine. So, and by that, I mean sort of a tabloidy newsstandy, like People yeah. magazine or something. That's the wrong tone, too. So, um, I think visually sophisticated is important. And I think if you didn't figure that out, then it would just be wrong. Fans wouldn't get it. Sorry, does that make sense? I'm kind of... it, it does, yeah. And, and do, do you both think, Joe, do you think that like a lot of stories you're covering are a, a bit more, uh, well, not a bit more, they're very in-depth and they're diving into all these different um, pockets of football culture, soccer culture. So do you think that is, that's a reflection of just fans asking for a bit more than sort of your tabloid stories in sports whether it is just premier league like are you seeing a a bit of a switch away from that where people are asking for a bit more depth in the stories coming out of football yeah definitely i think people got a little definitely got a little bit worn out of mm. the what's available in the mainstream and there's just so many good writers out there that you it's surprising there, there are people that write for nplh that write for I wouldn't say rival magazines, but other indie mm. football magazines that could quite easily slip into someone's place that's working at a, a British uh, broadsheet yeah. or, or like what's that other, what's that platform that come out of the US about 18 months ago? What's Athletic. that called? Athletic. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah. It. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, like great standard of writing, but there's, I don't think there's, there's anything that you see there that you couldn't see in one of these magazines and I think that's a yeah a, a testament to the quality that's out there a, a massive wealth of it like you know you've got a massive depth of great footballers all over the world that, that don't become professionals is equal equally true with the amount of designers and, and writers that are out there as well you know why I think it works sorry just to interrupt with a yeah, quick um, is uh, in terms of where the content comes from, the writers were able to get, and now the artists were able to get. I mean, we've got some pretty stellar work in, in issue eight. The art's stunning. It's one of those things though, where I think we're approaching it from the right, um, we're taking the right approach to it. Like we're not making any money out of it. We are football fans, design fans, photography fans. We're sort of just putting good work out there. And I think the writers and the illustrators and everybody else that's involved in the project see that and then that attracts more people who want to be involved because we're not coming at it from a cynical perspective we're coming at it from sort of a genuine really genuine honest perspective like you know poor joe's there with his envelopes and his, his stamps at the end of every production cycle shipping these things out like well you know and i think <laughs> people in the football community see that acknowledge that recognize it, and they just want to be involved um uh and so i guess my way is it sort of feeds itself the more good work we do the more good we get in and then we get even more we do better work and then it just keeps going yeah so, they trust us don't they they trust us with their with their work you know so you've got artists and photographers that know that neil will do their work justice um with what they're submitting you know they they're excited to to work with neil and the same goes with the writers they want to see their work not only printed, but they want to see it in a magazine that's got a bit of weight to it. You know, it's uh, and, like, and as Neil says, that then breeds that breeds more. And it's, yeah. it's a nice position to be in. It mm. makes life a lot easier when you're trying to build an issue in your spare, you know, around your day job, mm. around real life. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier. 
And what, when you were moving away from doing it as a, a West Ham fanzine, was it, what was the inspiration for some of the stories and some of the content you were covering? Did you feel that there was just a bit of a gap for some of the stories that weren't getting enough focus or attention? Or what, what was some of that inspiration to actually transition and start as, with this new, uh, the new idea behind the magazine? Yeah, I think it's like I wanted to, the idea was to make something that I would like to read myself. Mm. And um, look, there were, there are a few out there, but um, I don't, I'll be careful what I, what I say. <laughs> there were, there are, there are a few out there, but you know, you got shots fired. Yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> there are a few out there, but you know, we, you know, it was the kind of, I thought this, this could be done in a different way, maybe. Mm. Um, not better, but but different. And why not have a go? You know, the, 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 these these people are just doing it, so why not just do it? And it's funny. Two months before the first issue came out, we just had three features in, um, nowhere near enough content. Uh, couldn't see it. I, yeah, the plan was to bring it out in May 2018, and by the March, I was I was sitting in Australia with my wife on a holiday. Just thinking, am I going to get eight more features in in the next <laughs> next week, next few weeks? Uh, but somehow it happened, and then uh, and once we got it over the line, though, yeah, it just kind of became a. I guess you got into a habit of just working on an issue, then and making it and getting it done, and then the team grows and and whatnot. Yeah, but uh, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it was just a case of wanting to. Not wanting to, not just wanting to read something that I would like to read myself but also just the satisfaction of being involved in something like that as well. Sure. And what can people expect picking it up from a design perspective and they'll see when they're picking it up? One thing I noticed when I'm reading these magazines is uh, the first thing that ever stands out to me is the smell of a magazine, like a really well put together magazine and just open it up and smell it. But what can people expect just from aesthetics and design, Neil? Yeah, uh, well, the smell is actually a big part of our of our marketing strategy. So Joe actually rubs the magazine <laughs> before he puts it in an envelope. I'm glad you <laughs> you worked really really hard. Paper cuts, all sorts of things. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've got a um, cupboard full of Lynx Africa here that I just spray over every single sheet. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the secret strategy. But don't tell anyone because Lynx will be all over you. Don't want. Um, <laughs> Um, so it, I just want every issue to be surprising. I want everybody to pick up the next issue and not be bored and look at it and think, oh, and this is completely a design nerd thing, but I don't like, a magazine like this shouldn't be templated too much. I feel like it needs its own individual personality. Like every issue, like you said, should feel like a special object, like an archivable thing. Mm. Uh, and, I, and, and, and so that's really what I'm going for. So no issue, uh, we call them FOB. So I know like front of the book uh, has been uh, consistent in the eight issues. We've had basically eight completely different front of the books and back of the books and portfolios and stuff like that. All the departments have been are extremely custom every issue because I just want readers to pick it up and be like, oh, that's an interesting way to treat a headline or a weird sort of typographic thing. Mm. Um, and it really kills me. <laughs> it's a lot of work to mess with them every issue. Yeah. But for me, it's really satisfying. Like I said, I've had a whole career. I've had almost like, you know, getting on 20 years of working with templates and um, churning stuff out just to hit deadline. This is one of those things where I just want to do something a bit special and a bit unique. Mm. Um, and so that's, I think, what I'd say. Surprising the reader. Um, 
and not be super predictable. Uh, you know, sort of give them value for money. And I think it's partly, you, you don't want to sort of condescend either. You don't want to go for old football tropes like that Mexico 86 typography, you know, which a lot of football magazines do. You know, if, if a non-football person is given a, a, a football assignment, the first thing they do is go for that sort of swirly, windy Mexico 86 typography, which is beautiful, but I don't want to see it anymore. <laughs> you know, this, I, I, I think that's it. Not super... Um, um predictable mm. um and just high quality yeah we're just not talking down to the fans we're just trying to give them something special and joe some some of the articles as we mentioned earlier it ranges from venice beach to california to stockport and it, it, everything in between so I, I was interested to see like is there one or maybe a few stories that both of you have, have covered just over your time doing this that have been like stand out to you to uh like some of the stories that you enjoyed the most covering <laughs> Yeah, one actually in this current issue, issue eight, um, about the Torneo de Mundi in Bologna. Mm. Uh, it, it's uh, basically an LGBTQ tournament uh, to encourage inclusivity, diversity, mm. um, and it was just it was just a really nicely told story by a young guy, a young photographer called Barley, a Londoner, and he just off his own back goes to Italy from time to time and gets involved in, in the football scene over there and just puts himself about. And I, know, I guess yeah, reading that story, I wasn't only learning about this tournament and what it's doing for people of that community, but I don't know, I was kind of also picturing this young guy that's out discovering the world and, and these people that are occupying it, you know, and it, that just gave me a, a nice sense of warmth and, and comfort, I guess. That was one of my favourite to date. Mm. Um, I think the good thing about this magazine is you don't have to really be a football fan to enjoy it. I don't know if Neil would agree with that, but I think it's one of those that if you don't like football, there will, there will definitely be a story in there that you'll find interesting because it's not just, a, it's not match reports or talking about what Harry Kane likes to have for lunch on his days off or anything like that. These are you know, stories about real people mm. and football just happens to be the, the common thread that's kind of woven through them all. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. In fact, um, I was about to say, one of my favourites, for, for not particularly the way it was written, um, it, was, it was very good, because I think it was a Joe Fordham piece, so it's, it's obviously great. Um, but it was by Ruth, or about Ruth Fox, um, who is a footballer who struggled with mental health concerns. She's suffered from depression, and she's been, you know, she's just had a bit of a roller coaster of a few years and how football is just a very important thing for her. It sort of helped um, save her a few times, keep her on track, but she was just very, very honest about her uh, struggles. And I don't know, it really resonated with me. It was really important and I, for me and I followed her on Twitter and sort of, you know, kind of gave her a little boost, a little bit of encouragement every now and then. But it, that story absolutely transcended football. And I was kind of, football was the sort of device that we used to help tell her story, but her story was much bigger than that. Um, and yeah, you interviewed her, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, Joe, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, actually, she's, um, she's on a, a, an upcoming BT Sport a reality show, I guess you would call it, Ultimate Goal. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, so, yeah, it's, like, it's, a, it's essentially a, a massive football trial for female footballers over here to uh, put themselves in the spotlight for, for pro clubs. It starts, it airs next week or in the next two weeks. But it was great to see her involved in that and that she was playing again because I think she had fallen out of the game for a little while and 
and then obviously with COVID happening, um, someone like that not having their um, safety safety blanket, I guess, to help them through tough times. Mm. So you know, it's always a worry. But great to see her pop up online. When I saw that, I was like, "It's Ruth. She's there. Yeah. She's playing. She's playing again, and she's thriving. She, you know, she looks healthy. She seems happy. Yeah." It's, it's it's great. It's real people, right? Now we we um we might run one a, a story about Ronaldo, for example, but the very next page you can turn it over and read about a real person and how the game has has affected their lives. It seems like women's football is is definitely getting some traction in in the UK. When I was growing up, it was definitely not a, a thing, but it seems like at the moment there's uh, way more interest in women's football. Is that, you, you guys know? And it's a big turn in the stories as well coming out of the women's side of the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the, well, the women's game is something that we've, I think we've featured something in every issue so far, actually. That's something we're quite passionate about, definitely from an editorial perspective, because uh, it's, we just see it as the game, not a men's game and a women's game. We, we like to give each a platform, probably more so in the last few issues, to be honest, like we felt like we could have, could have done a bit more. It's not just a box ticking exercise to put a Sure. an article about the female game in there we're quite serious about it um but yeah definitely more coverage now that there's more games on tv uh although you have to find them you have to dig around from a little bit they don't get plastered all over the the tv mm-hmm. to say there's a game this sunday at like you do with the men's games but right. it's great that they're getting more airtime and getting the um yeah the exposure that the game deserves really yeah um, i know Neil's, Neil's Neil's play right you know what's funny is that um, every girl on my team is a massive Alex Morgan fan, right? So just they don't know a lot about the Premier League or anything. They're only 10 years old. Right. Um, but one of them showed up with a Tottenham Hotspur football the other day with a little, sorry about this joke, but they had a football. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cool. Why have you got that? Uh, and she said, because Alex Morgan plays there now. Oh, good for you. So... <laughs> Yeah, the, a lot, a lot of the American, the high-profile American players have moved over. I think at the weekend, Kristen Press scored for Manchester United as well, and like, yeah, and yeah. Tobin Heath, yeah, Tobin, Tobin Heath got one as well. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely, uh, it's not great for the U.S. women's national, like the national league, yeah, the domestic league, but I think that that profile of the club attaching itself brand-wise with, you know, a Tobin Heath and Chris, like that, that is raising the profile of the women's game. Probably just, it's great in general, right? So you will get a younger female player around the world that can now say, oh, well, it's Manchester United and it's a player that I love versus, like, no disrespect to the, the American domestic league and the women's side, but it's the Portland Thorns might not have the same reputation that Manchester United have got globally, yeah. right? Well, it's great. I mean, it's a, you know, I do a lot of work for Chelsea's, you know, and uh, so I try to do their um, match day posters every week. Mm. Uh, and they played City last week. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, last week. Um, and we, we did a little list of the players we want to feature in the piece. And it was insane. It was like World Cup All-Stars. It had, like, Samantha Mewis. Um, Rose Lavelle. Uh, Roosevelt, Panella Harder. So the Chelsea side is already kind of a European and Australia all-stars team anyway. Mm. And then City, yeah, they've got all these new, uh, you know, uh, Lucy Bronze plays there now. Um, plus the American, I mean, it's like insane. It's like a, I went to watch, I took my daughter down to Orlando last uh, March, which seems like a hundred years ago now. 
to watch the She Believes Cup and we went to watch England versus uh, US. Mm. And it was like everybody that was on the field that day is basically yeah. was in that game, uh, <laughs> Chelsea versus City. So it's great. So my daughter like knows all the players now, like not personally, but she knows who they are mm. just from coming up to my office and like seeing who I'm working at now. So she's actually, since She Believes, she's a big fan of um, Bethany England and... Um, well, well, a couple of them. And they were very kind to actually give us a little message, because I do some work for England as well. Yeah. And they gave me a little personal message, so now she follows them uh, religiously. So, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't have happened five years ago, let alone, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, it's impressive. It's good to see. So, and, and what else is going on with the magazine? I believe I was reading you guys are doing a, a podcast as well now. Is that right? Yeah, um, we launched that. What are we now? I think about ten days ago we had our first episode. Nice. Uh, which went down quite well, yeah. Um, we had a, another one came out soon after, actually, that um, was a follow-on from issue five. One of our writers, David Bevan, spoke to a guy called James Grimes, the founder of a, an anti-gambling harm campaign mm. over here in the UK. Um, so, yeah, that was getting a bit of traction, so we managed to get a chat with him. Uh, so, yeah, two episodes have gone down really well. I think it's, it's good to fill the gaps between issues. You know, mm. People are waiting three, four months. Not waiting, but you know, it just keeps us present, sure. I guess. So if we can let out a bit more online content and a podcast every month, then we're fresh in people's minds for when a, another issue comes around. And we can find more people. More people can find us that way as well. If we've got a bit more reach with an hour podcast every month, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they do a magazine as well. What's going on here? <clears throat> excuse me so yeah it's good it's just good to have a bit more content getting out there i think yeah definitely there's more stories to tell there's plenty more stories to tell so it's just another way of doing it yeah 100 percent. so uh, where can everyone find out so with the magazine information website and social media all that kind of stuff yeah so our website is mplhmag.com and we're on twitter and instagram at mplhmag just a nice easy one there uh, brilliant I'd- what can people expect the next next issue? You're already working on the content for that. Oh God, Neil's gonna have a heart attack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it too yeah, soon? So, too soon. Yeah. He's only just put his Wacom down. He's only just put. His... <laughs> yeah, so we've got a, a surprise, Neil. There's another email full of loads of stuff coming to you this week. So issue nine, yeah, is is pretty much the content's pretty much in. Um, got a portfolio that we've been sitting on for about. 18 months that I think Neil's going to be excited to finally use. Oh, yes. Yes. He knows the one. Um, yeah, it's a good one. I won't, uh, so, yeah, the theme for this one is divine intervention. And it's thrown up some, some quite interesting pieces, as you'd expect from uh, an issue of MPLH now. I think Neil can have a lot of fun with that, with, especially with the artwork that's coming already. A couple of new artists on board, which is good. Um, and we've actually got a, a US one. A US specials waiting in the wings. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's a, a, another solid issue, I think. We got some, most of our, not saying most of our readers, so we're getting an increasing amount of readers from over that side, uh, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I think, I, I think uh, and, and Neil can attest it as well. I think there's definitely a hunger for, for a hunger for more on this side. That uh, no disrespect to Major League Soccer or uh, where, but I, I think there are from 
different different people want more from the game now where previously it was like well you watch the Premier League you watch La Liga maybe you watch a bit of Major League Soccer but now I've noticed that people are digging a bit more they want a bit more from the cultural side of things as well I don't know if you've noticed sort of the same thing Neil yes um I can really only speak anecdotally just certainly the football fans that I know of Mm. uh they are insatiable they have this insatiable appetite for uh for football stuff I, I mean, they know more about La Liga, Eredivisie, like mm. the most, some of the most obscure leagues. Yeah, I must admit, I'm a bit boring. I mean, I focus on the Premiership and um, and the Championship just because I'm a North End fan, um, and I'll watch, you know, the the Classico and stuff like that when I can. I follow most of it online, but um, yeah, I mean, there is an insatiable appetite for more football stuff over here. It's amazing. It's funny. It's this weird thing, right? Because uh, I mean, we take it for granted a bit, obviously, because you know, I'm sort of just, you know, born and raised in England. So it's part of my, my life. It's not particularly surprising or um, unusual to me. But one, so this is, a, this, I suppose it's a bit of a tangent, but my mate is a, a Red Bulls fan. Mm. And they went to watch a New York City FC game a couple of years ago. And there's a sort of a rivalry, right, between those two. Mm. And he described it. There was, a, there was a bit of trouble, I guess, up there near, in Newark, near the stadium. And um, he described it, rather than being like a sort of legitimate rivalry where fans, you know, the old firm derby where fans just like hate each other for one reason mm. or another. He said it was a bit like a Civil War reenactment where like they knew what they were supposed to do and they knew where <laughs> they were supposed to stand and what they were supposed to shout. And then it was almost like the director went, action! And they sort of had a little bit of a scuffle and then more shouting. And then they kind of went home. And that was it. And so uh, that sort of sums up the state of uh, the legacy anyway, obviously, of, of, of Tom it's It looks right and it sounds right. And there's lots of smoke and flags and people shouting. But it's just not quite right yet because it's so young and, and, and no. Um, you got you got so many teams as well that are like establishing that culture as it's it's like a, a little puppy at the moment isn't it that it's just not yeah. been around that long and you've got so many different cultures just different nationalities mixing together and doing different things that it's this uh it's still just kind of growing and, and becoming what it's supposed to right now like lafc are doing a great job and atlanta united but they're all just sort of establishing what their their own football culture is without copying what you've seen on TV or in yeah. a film or as you well, mentioned. Actually, so speaking of West Coast, I mean, I, I actually really do think that that's quite a unique, special, unlike anything else in the world, football fan experience because it really embraces uh, Latin culture, mm. uh, Mexican fans. Um, the the atmosphere is brilliant. Like it, it does feel really spirited and really honest. Or sometimes, maybe it's just an East Coast thing, it doesn't feel quite right, but I feel like LA are figuring it out and it's really exciting what's happening over there. Yeah. I think, I think speaking, so. of, speaking of women's football though, when we went to watch um, uh, the US play England, uh, the atmosphere coming out of the US end was amazing. It really was. The people were, like standing on chairs and like yelling and going mental and they all had songs and stuff. It was, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Really, of course, I'm sitting in the middle of it with my Alan Shearer shirt on. <laughs> my little England flag. <laughs> it was good, though. It felt really, um, yeah, just honest and very family friendly. Like, there wasn't a lot of swearing, so I didn't have to cover my daughter's ears too much. Um, yeah. yeah. It was good. Yeah, so one thing I noticed when when you go to a game here locally for like Phoenix Rising game, it is it's very uh, it's like a family event, which is nice, right? Like it's like yeah. not, it's not not maybe like going to watch Stockport County in the nineties might have been. <laughs> <laughs> 
Was that a subtle dig there, Adam, about the League Cup in '97? Ian Dow's own goal at Edgeley Park. Was that, that, I, was, I, was, I was, I was, I was on the Tudor end of that game, mate. He's <laughs> <laughs> having digs at me over here, Neil, on the sly. Look, he's just slipping in. I still shiver at the thought of that. I was at Upton, Upton Park and then for the, for the game at Edgeley Park, Ian Dowie, the best, one of the best headers I've ever seen in my life in the wrong net. <laughs> Picked that one out. It was beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. From, that's from Stockport were decent, to be fair. I think we ran um, a piece early doors on Stockport as well. We did. In issue yeah. two, yeah, issue two. Yeah, the butterfly effect, yeah. It was, yeah. They're, Everton, they're, when you beat Everton or... Yeah, they've been on a roller coaster the last sort of fifteen years of absolutely awful owners taking the purse, falling ten divisions down the league, and then now like things are looking good. I mean, they're top in the national league right now, so I mean they're at least going in the right direction again now. Because it was bad. I I think I I think for quite a long time they were going to go the, the same way as you know what what's happened to Berry and you know it was it was a mess for a long time with. It's just the ownership is usually the issue. It's just guys taking the piss and selling players and never reinvesting in the club. So it's nice to see them actually like going in the right direction again. Adam, can I see an honest question as an expat? Yes. Living in America. So I found myself, when I lived in Preston, mm. I didn't live there till I was 18 and then I moved to London um, mm. to go to uni. But when I lived there till I was 18, uh, obviously I was a fan and I go on as often as we could uh, to detail. And I was, a, I was always a fan of Preston, but I felt like ever since I've been sort of, I've left the town, um, I'm a bigger fan than I've ever been. Like, I just follow them religiously. I follow, like, the backroom stuff. Like, I'm fascinated in the business of North End. I never was when I lived there. Um, you know, season tickets were cheap. It was dead easy to go on. Um, you know, and it was a rundown, crappy old shed. And then it got nice. And so I've really started to follow the business side of it and follow the club more since I left and I don't know what that says about me as a football fan but I think it's probably something to do with uh, being a displaced Brit um, but do you find that as a Stockport fan I mean when you were there obviously you could go on I don't know how long you've been in America but are you a bigger football fan now you can't actually go on than you were yeah I, I think so definitely and I, I had I'd stopped going to matches as, and it, I mean, it doesn't help when your team is like completely in the doldrums. Whereas right when I emigrated, I'm a stop, but we're at the very worst. They were getting relegated. I think like four seasons in a row, it was just it was a mess. So it's, it's easy not to want to go to Wickham away on a Tuesday night when, <laughs> you know, things, th things aren't going very well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And there's, there's a big expat community here where we are in Phoenix and, I've noticed that people sort of cling to their team and in some with some people there's a, a bit more of an element of like patriotism almost because yeah. you're away and you're separated so you feel like you you need to sort of plant your flag a bit more whether it's with your team or uh, nationality for some people as well yeah, but yeah no I, I definitely know what you're talking about it's 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 there for sure you feel like you you sort of grab on a bit tighter because you're so far disconnected from it you know yeah that's what I say but like you'll go to the pub uh, like in Hartford there's a pub here which is like the English pub right and so they play England, English football matches. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you see fans like going mental. Like, I, I don't know that you do that normally when you're back home in, <laughs> in um, you know, following, yeah, following Wiccan Wanderers. Would you really have your shirt off? Like, throwing it around, like going mental yeah, at like yeah. eight o'clock in the morning. Right, <laughs> it's just like they sort of like they become, 
not super fans, it's more like sort of fans on steroids. And then they go home because it's lunchtime after the game and they get back with their kids and they settle back in. But like, there's this weird <laughs> expat football community. It's, it's like just oddly over the top. Right? Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a badge of honour almost, you know, you need to sort of yeah. smack it on you and say, yeah, this is like, but it's, it's, it's funny, especially when you sport a team that no one's heard of. Like, yeah. Preston North End, like what? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, what's a- well, I always thought that Americans would know exactly who North End were because we've had so many Americans play for us right. um, yeah. um, over the years. Especially so when I first came over, it was like McBride and Lewis, um, and Johnson. Like, we, we had loads of Yanks. <laughs> I just yeah. assumed everybody knew who they were, yeah. uh, but they in fact didn't. Although you know what's funny? I uh, I was working on a project recently for a guy, and the company who owned the the the, the, the client, I suppose. Uh, was in fact Eddie Lewis himself. And so um, I was like, yes, I will definitely do this job for you. And in fact, I took a photograph of my Eddie Lewis shirt and sent it to him. I was like, oh my God. And he thought I was probably a psychopath. Yeah, fat fanboy moment. <laughs> yeah, but like the only graphic design studio, uh, maybe in all of America, who actually has an Eddie Lewis shirt. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, that's class. <laughs> I just happened to have it because I took the photo. Get in. Yeah. Have you have you got have you sorted out a Preston North End supporters club on the East Coast yet? It's very small. It's me and my wife and my children, and they they both uh, hate me for forcing them to be in it. No, there is one actually. There's one in New York. Yeah. Um, I was going to say West- New York must have one. Yeah, when we played West Ham, happy days in the championship final <laughs> a few years ago, we got battered. Um, um, yeah, there was a few. There were there was. I didn't actually go to the North End pub to watch it, but evidently they did manage to get a pub together. I went to basically a West Ham pub <laughs> right near my house. Uh, and like I said to you, Joe, they were all very nice. They were all, they were a lovely group of fans. It was lovely. Yeah, the ones that don't live here anymore are lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were almost, they felt sorry for me. They were like apologetic. <laughs> Yeah, it's, fu- it's, fu- it's funny how that can happen, that you go away and you actually, like, the nice people have moved away and they're, like, really receptive and, like, hey, come on in, we can be mates now because we don't live in the same country anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the tribalism's diluted a little bit, right, because yeah. they moved away, yeah. Well, there's the other weird thing. It's like, I know an American friend of mine who's a diehard Manchester United fan for, for whatever reason, um, and he hates American Liverpool fans. And when he gets together with an American Liverpool fan, they yell at each other. I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like because you're supposed to. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that's more of the like uh, sort of following the scripts that you think you're meant to follow versus like just doing your own thing and like realizing like, yeah, you know what, we're five thousand miles away, we can be mates. <laughs> yeah, and they're both from like one's from uh, Minneapolis and the one's from New York. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. that, there must be something else going on there. There's there's an underlying issue there. They're just using football as the excuse. Yeah. Oh, oh, and, and, and that happens more often than not, doesn't it? That you're using football as the uh, the outlet for uh, frustrations. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, but that's the rabbit hole, lads. You're going down the rabbit hole there. Psychological issues associated with football. You'll probably write a whole issue in a magazine on that. I think we've just got issue 10 sorted there. Mm. Cheers, Adam. Yeah, yeah, cheers. football. I've got to make a call. I've just got to make a couple <laughs> yeah. of calls now. Yeah. You only get a drawing. You want to be in the issue? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can do uh, my psychology of football being, uh, you know, like a, a transplant a football fan that's got psychological issues. No problem. We can find plenty of people for that. <laughs> all right, boys. Well, listen, I, I'll let you both crack on. It's been great having you both on. And, uh, 
next issue of the magazine when you say it's issue eight just came out right yeah issue eight just came out now there's a, a few left um issue nine like february sort of time february yeah. perfect all right nice what well, issue eight's good christmas present yeah good time yeah if you can get it get it while it's still here they uh, they do go they do sell out well keep up the good work guys it's amazing to see and uh, I'll, I'll be picking up uh, you've, you've got a new subscriber anyway oh good man thanks for the support yeah of course we'll be spreading the gospel appreciate it boys alright cool pleasure thank you that's it it's full time it's the end of today's show I want to give a big shout out to Neil and Joe from MPLH magazine for taking their time out to come on and join us we'll be back on Tuesday myself and Thomas for the weekly show and you can get with us online at healthyobsession.soccer and on Instagram at healthy underscore obsession we appreciate all the support and for everyone listening and until the next time be safe and well cheers <laughs>